broadcasting live from a leal baby clone pod, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm one of your other hosts, Podcast. That's my clone name, but it's Garrett. My my name's actually <laughs> Podcast is your clone name? I kind of love that. Because they're, they're all just named for what they do, you know? I mean, not all of them, but the Bad Batch specifically are just named for what they do. <laughs> That's very true. We can't both be podcast. What am I? Well, there are two options here. We could just be audio things. Like, you could be Sonic, and I, and I could be <laughs> Reverb Tails, yes. or something. Oh, that's pretty good. Reverb. You can be Pod, and I can be Cast. Ooh, that's pretty good. This is going... Yeah, I don't know where this goes, except for, like, twin clones. They're all, tw- they're all twins and <laughs> they're, clones of each other. I don't know how twins. that works. I don't know. Well, if you guys couldn't tell, we are talking... The Bad Batch, the new Star Wars Disney Plus series, the first two episodes are already out, and uh, we actually didn't know that. We we went to record the episode yesterday, and we were like, oh, there's a new episode out, and some power outages made it so that we had to delay the record anyway, so we had time to, to catch up on that one. And honestly, I'm kind of a little glad we did, because I, I mean, we'll get there later, but this second episode was also very interesting. Yeah, I think we're going to have a have a lot of good things to say, but first we've got just a just a few little newsy tidbits. First up, probably the biggest news is a huge Marvel Phase 4 back to the theaters teaser trailer that has just a whole bunch of release dates that we won't bore you with saying out loud. <laughs> On this show. Right. Um, there's like a lot of them. Basically, there's going to be a new Marvel movie every two months up until May 2023. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, we d- we did get uh, a little couple bits of Eternals footage that has yet to be seen before this uh, mashup here. Which, you know, I love to see sexy Kumail Nanjiani doing his <laughs> tight t-shirt thing. Tight t-shirt, taking off his sunglasses. Yeah, oh man, I he is one of the people I'm very much most excited to see in that movie, even though I still have literally no idea what it's about. I'm, I'm into it. We were kind of saying this with Shang-Chi, too, is that it looks like Marvel's actually letting things look different and have color in them, and this definitely has that Chloe Zhao magic hour kind of wistfully in shadow aesthetic from you know Nomadland and the writer yeah I mean you've got that shot of Salma Hayek on a horse and it's like that's that's classic Zhao right there totally it's it's looking like seriously like nothing else we've seen in this franchise before and there are so many dates I'm forgetting where it lands in the shuffle but it really can't come soon enough if you ask me that it's that and um, Shang-Chi, like you said, those two are some of the most unique of these upcoming Marvel films in my mind. And I'm just, I'm endlessly excited. Black Panther 2 and Captain Marvel 2 have titles now. It's Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which says to me that that's going to be dealing with T'Challa's legacy, which I think we kind of already anticipated. And The Marvels is Captain Marvel 2, which, at the very least, I'm thinking Miss Marvel in this, because in the logo, there is the Miss Marvel S at the end, making Marvels 
but it yeah. wouldn't surprise me to see Monica Rambeau show up in this either. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say as well. You know, I'm excited for that for sure. Miss Marvel, I'm also like, I still don't know much about her, but very interesting to see them team up. Like you said, with Black Panther too, it's definitely going to be like passing the mantle of Black Panther most likely, kind of like what we've been saying. There was like a little baby bumper after the teaser dropped, the day after the teaser dropped, they came out with another announcement where it was just Tom Hiddleston standing in a white void saying how Loki is going to be premiering on Wednesdays instead of Fridays. And so they moved up the release date a couple days to June 9th instead of like June 11th. Seamus, you were wondering about this change yesterday. I'm assuming this is to combat the Friday releases that Marvel's going to be making anyway. So that way, if they decide to drop a post-credits Black Widow teaser during Loki on Wednesday, audiences are going to have a day to catch up before they go see Black Widow on Thursday night or Friday. Makes a lot of sense. It's just the more rapid-fire version of the machine that they've been working with. That'll give us at least a little breathing room between the stuff that we're going to be like rapid fire Marvel from here on out. Uh, On other streaming teaser news, yesterday we got a new Stranger Things season four teaser. Didn't show too much, obviously. It was a teaser more than a a full length trailer, but it looks like season four is going to be taking a couple deep flashbacks to like the prime 11 experiment that you know, they've been showing these smaller flashbacks to for three seasons now. Matthew Modine's back. We'd love to see him. We just mentioned him like the other week on the podcast too, so He's the best. He's just like the biggest scumbag of all time. He's he's he fits that role to a T. I'm very interested because we see like Eleven like waking up or something at the end of this teaser. So I wonder if it's going to be real world triggers that are sending her into flashbacks. Is there, like, a weird sunken place? Like, does the, the the Institute, or whatever they call it, exist in her mind somewhere? Is it somewhere she goes and gets trapped? Because they've kind of played with all of those ideas in the show so far to some capacity, so maybe they're really going to delve into that in, in 4. Also, are we sure that Brenner is dead? Like, do we see him die at the end of Season 1? Don't we? I feel like we do, but maybe I- I'm just... I feel like we see, like, the Demogorgon run at him, and then, in true, like, 80s monster movie fashion, I feel like we get, like, ah, and then it cuts to the other scene. Maybe. Maybe we'll get, like, a Brenner-Gorgon beast. Like, truly, I love the monster designs in that show. And then our last bit of news is something that people have been clamoring for forever, which is that PlayStation and Discord have officially announced a partnership which will begin in early 2022. I'm into that. I know Discord is a big like streaming platform and if this is going to like make it as easy as it should be, then I think that's going to be fantastic. I know I know there's not a lot of details about what this partnership will actually entail, but you can I'm hoping that's a part Discord? of it. I didn't know that. Can you not? Is that not what I'm thinking of? Well, I know you can share your screen on Discord. The possibility of that is really interesting, but also just the fact that, okay, if I'm playing Fortnite with my girlfriend and my other friends, like, my girlfriend might be playing on her Nintendo, and my friends might be playing on PC, we are all in Discord anyway, so if I could just do that on my PlayStation, that's another step that I don't have to worry about. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of people were connecting this decision with a recent update 
uh, not too long after the PS5 came out about party chat options and how there are new features to record everything and people were feeling very shaky about that not sure what it meant in terms of like having your audio and gameplay recorded without your consent but people are thinking that that update and this announcement kind of go more hand in hand now where it'll just be easier to do that kind of stuff that makes a lot of sense that wraps us up for news a nice short news segment this week and we're going to go ahead and move on to our main segment, which is episodes one and two of Disney Plus's latest Star Wars series, The Bad Batch. This week on the show, we're covering the first two episodes of Star Wars The Bad Batch that just premiered this week on Disney Plus. Uh, we had an hour-long premiere on this one that honestly was fantastic. I want to I wanna jump around of the first two episodes as soon as we can, but what, what were your first impressions, uh, spoiler-free, Garrett? I had pretty low expectations going into this. I think like a lot of people, when they announced the show, I was like, really, of all the Star Wars shows, we're going to do like a, a Bad Batch show? <laughs> but prepping for this episode, watching the Bad Batch arc on, on last season of the Clone Wars... And then watching the premiere, I was really impressed. And I think something that it's hitting for me, even though we're only two episodes in, that I like is that something I've always kind of had a problem with on Clone Wars, given its nature as an anthology series. You hit an arc where there are no characters you care about, and mm -hmm. you don't care about the plot, and you're just kind of stuck. Something yeah. I've always preferred about Rebels is that you have this core group of characters that you're always with and you're traveling and watching them grow. That's not to discount the character development on Clone Wars, but I like having that stability week to week. So far, the Bad Batch has kind of been able to do both of those things, of these core group of clones that we're going to be following and tracking their growth, and we're also going to get a little bit of that planet-hopping anthology-ness that the Clone Wars brings. So in a way, it's kind of like the perfect marriage between Rebels, Clone Wars, and The Mandalorian. We'll get into that probably a little bit more in spoilers, but I'm hoping they move a little bit farther away from how similar it is so far to The Mandalorian. Yeah, man, I agree with you on a lot of what you just said. Even starting from, like, I wasn't the most excited about The Bad Batch when it was announced... A lot of people were saying, like, oh, all right, it's Clone Wars Season 9 or whatever that Which, it I would mean, have been. Honestly, it kind of is. The Clone Wars title burns away to be the Bad Batch title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you can definitely feel that for sure. But even in two episodes, they're really delivering on what the trailers and promo have been promising of, like, watching this transition from the Republic to the Empire, and I don't know, just like that whole overtone of both of these episodes so far have given it that darker and more allegorical, I guess Star Wars has so many allegories and metaphors to the real world, <laughs> but you, you like space Nazis? Let's watch it happen in real time is basically what this show is, is doing, so I'm pretty gripped by these first two episodes, I guess. It's really nice to see an on-the-ground perspective of here is how everyday life in the galaxy is changing under the rule of the Empire, and why it's bad. Rebels and now Bad Batch are doing an excellent job at showcasing exactly why the Empire has to be risen up against. Between Clone Wars 
now Bad Batch and Rebels, thinking about the starting and ending of each of their... Sh- I guess I don't know where Bad Batch is going to end up, but it is so seamless feeling through the Clone Wars into the Galactic Civil War without those giant chunks of exposition and time that were between the movies and even in the original Clone Wars show between that and episode four even. I mean, there's no question to anybody who's watched Rebels and Clone Wars that Rebels is a sequel series to Clone Wars, Mm -hmm. but I am really getting into this idea of, and I think it's even more explicit than I initially would have thought based on some stuff we'll talk about in spoilers, that this Bad Batch show is almost turning all three series into one big show. Yeah, definitely. It's taking so much, like surgically removing all of the best bits and then stitching them together in a way that connects them all it's like its own trilogy almost i don't know if i'm even saying that right but like these three shows together feel like a complete package that makes the mandalorian more of the sequel series then because the mandalorian obviously is taking a lot of things from clone wars and rebels and bringing them to after the galactic civil war so yeah i am so much more into the Bad Batch than I ever expected to be. My mom likes it, which the fact that my mom is watching a Star Wars cartoon is blowing my mind. Unassociating it with, like, what the Clone Wars and Rebels is, your mom is just dropping in cold? My mom and I watched the four Bad Batch episodes in the Clone Wars. So, like, she got that background. That was enough of an intro, I think. And also the animation in this is so much cleaner than the beginning of any other Star Wars cartoon. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. Just like, (laughs) I'm still re-watching Clone Wars from the start, which is pretty rough. Compared to the super blocky everything, like their hair is one solid piece of plastic versus seeing hunters, almost individual pieces of hair, like blowing in the wind and reacting to the environment around him is staggering to see the difference. This is the pinnacle of what the Clone Wars art style could be. And it's not my favorite art style, but... Yeah, when it's done like this, it's a lot more... It's something else. But I think, Seamus, we gotta give the people what they want, and what they want is that sweet, sweet spoiler talk. And I know it's what we want to talk about, too. Basically, if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, if you liked the Clone Wars, if you liked Rebels, definitely go into this. If you're a more casual Star Wars fan who's only seen the movies, I still think this is accessible to you. Or or if you've only seen, like, the movies and The Mandalorian. Because I think that's the boat that most people are probably in. Go and watch the first four episodes of the last season of The Clone Wars. That intro of The Bad Batch. And then I think you could go pretty much into this. But it's going to be easier if you do those episodes, I think. Especially because of Echo. May need a little bit more context on that, but other than that, yeah. And watch our channel for a pop culture recap that if you need any any help sussing out exactly what's going on in the galaxy, we're going to have your back. That's coming to our YouTube channel soon, so stay tuned. Let's just get into it, man. There's There's plenty to talk about in these two episodes, so where do you want to start here? You know, Seamus, as a Rebels fan, exactly where I want to start. Caleb? Is that what they were calling him? Caleb Doom. You have not gotten through Rebels yet. Not all of it, but I will say I like 100% knew what was going on as soon as that boy opened his mouth and I heard that pitched up voice. Oh, Freddie Prince Jr. I am completely willing to forgive the fact that it sounds a little weird just because I'm glad they got him back. I won't spoil too much for you, Seamus. 
obviously you know that Kanan is a Jedi. That's a big thing in that show. But you eventually learn that his name before he was Kanan Jarrus was Caleb. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to piece that together in my head. I can only imagine it has something to do with trying to stay anonymous after Order sixty six. Yeah, you even can. I was just gonna say I have a feeling. You know, we we get his intro and boots on the ground point of view of like his experience with Order sixty six, which he talks about in Rebels. It's pretty intense. You know, any any time we get to see visually like a part of order 66 that we haven't before it's never uh never pleasant it's always so sad to me i will say i do have some issues i completely understand why they changed this to better fit the opening of this series but as somebody who really enjoys the Kanan comic which goes into his backstory before rebels this is a completely different version of order 66 from what happened in that story. Very strange, considering that's a Disney canon comic, right? Basically, they're trying to accomplish different things. In both versions, Order 66 happens to Dippa, Blaba, and Caleb on the planet Kalar, but the events are like very different. They're not in battle when it happens in the comic. It's at nighttime and it's trying to achieve this like, oh, look, the clones are buddies with the Jedi and how much they respect Master Balaba and all this stuff. And then on a dime, just killing. Jeez. And, and then in this show, obviously they're trying to establish, here's the Bad Batch and here's the action sequence and they're showing their relationship kind of that way. It also serves in a big way to set up the individualities of the Bad Batch versus, like, the regular mass clone troopers. Also, you know, using that to set up more with uh, Crosshair being affected by Order 66 rather than Kanan's and Balaba's backstory. In both versions of the story, even though obviously there are things that contradict each other, even frustrating little things like the fact that Commander Gray has completely different armor than he does in the Kanan comic, and Dippa Balaba's hmm. lightsaber is a different color than it is in the Kanan comic, like stupid things. That is weird that they wouldn't just keep stuff like that consistent, but... The core of that story is very much the same. And it still lines up with what Kanan describes in Rebels of, like, I was on the planet Kalar with my master at the end of the Clone Wars, and they turned on her, and she told me to run, and I did, you know, whatever. As a Rebels fan, I was really excited just to see Kanan back. He's one of my favorite characters in all of Star Wars. That guy's got layers. Even from the stuff that I've seen in Rebels, he's a lot more dynamic of a of a Jedi than a lot of what we see in the movies or even the shows. But let's talk about why that scene is in there, which is to establish the Bad Batch. And off the bat, Hunter is so much better written in this show than he was <laughs> on Clone Wars. It's insane. Not he just me, like, then? <laughs> he feels yeah. interesting and compelling, not just like, oh, this is our stoic leader. Yeah, the, he's got layers, too. That's their whole thing, is they're supposed to be, like, way more individual than all the other clones, and it's a very different but better version, I think. The sequence where he is trying to talk Caleb into coming back with him, in the waterfall sequence, basically, is just incredible. That is such a strong opening to this series of establishing Hunter's character really well, showcasing, and I was thinking about this a lot, if Caleb stayed, if he listened to Hunter, I think he probably would be dead. Oh, yeah, Crosshair would have 100% shot him. Like, we get that beautiful, genuine sequence with the waterfall, and, we, you know, we even get that shot of them looking at each other over the pass, and it's that 
genuine, like, please don't be afraid, like, we're your friends speech from Hunter versus the classic good soldiers follow orders mantra that we, we remember so well from the Clone Wars that we get from Crosshair. That whole sequence sets up so well, additionally, Hunter's relationship with Omega, or Omega, as she would say. Omega. Omega. Hey, Tech. Tech. Don't forget me. Oh, yeah. I'm Omega. Oh. <laughs> she could have been so annoying. They could have really pulled, like, a season one Ahsoka move here and, like, made it a character that we don't necessarily like that would maybe grow on us. But I think Omega is entirely likable. And she's adorable. I can't wait for, like... <laughs> Yeah, right. She's adorable and capable and, you know, just she's part of the sad batch, just like everybody else in there. And I definitely can't wait for like season four or five when she's old enough to get like custom bad batch armor. You know, I'm, I'm thinking way down the line, but I well, think she's going to turn into a badass. Don't forget clones grow at an accelerated rate. So she's like, oh. she looks 12 or 13, So, she, but she's probably what, like five? I somehow completely forgot about that. <laughs> I, I that... guess we don't know that she grows in, I'm assuming she grows in an accelerated rate just like the rest of the clones. Let's talk about Omega's origins, I guess, a little bit on this. She's part of the Bad Batch of like a genetically altered set of clones where they wanted to enhance certain abilities of a good soldier. Left it very nebulous if she is somehow a gender-swapped Jango Fett clone, or if she is a diff- like, she could potentially be a clone of somebody else, or they haven't really said what kind of clone she is, just that she is a clone. Yeah, I kind of assumed it was just, like, a fiddled with the chromosomes of a little baby pod or something, and made it a lady version for some reason. Well, my, my mom will tell you how it's scientifically impossible, and I had to remind her that it is a show about space wizards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Obviously, she was created with a purpose. I think even as it Echo says, the Kaminoans don't create without a purpose. Yeah, that's true. And we see her originally as like a a medical assistant to the Kaminoans, whatever. However, you know, gonk droids can only get you so far. They're mostly good for bench pressing, from what I yeah. Understand. Oh, I I thought that was great. Curling a a gonk droid. One curl per gonk is wonderful. <laughs> Do you think that's going to be a running thing, Wrecker using droids for exercise? I mean, I think it's pretty funny. Wrecker is probably the member of the Bad Batch I'm the least invested in because I think he's kind of annoying. Definitely better written, again, in this show than he was in Clone Wars. Him and... Omega, they have a nice little relationship where he really cares about her a lot. I do like that. Seamus, you have a you have a favorite member of the Bad Batch? My favorite member of the Bad Batch. I think that Tech is pretty fun. I like that he's just kind of like a snarky little bastard. But honestly, I like Wrecker just because he does a lot of the uh unique physical things with like the environment with his, you know, big Hulk strength. In episode two, he's, like, just fully picking up a big pallet of shipment items and using it as a shield for himself, and then he just, like, whips it at a crowd of troopers. Or, like, he does a great Three Stooges bit when he's asked for his chain code, where he, like, reaches both his hands out and then knocks three clone troopers' heads together to knock that him out. That was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, that totally got me. What about you, Garrett? Do you have a preference for Bad Batch members? I mean, Echo... It's kind of unfair after everything we've been through with Echo. You know, I love Echo. 
it is a little hard not to pick Echo, but if we're talking about probably who I enjoy the most in general, not necessarily who I'm most invested in, you know, Egon's my favorite Ghostbuster, so you yeah. know I gotta go with Tech. That's what I I definitely was comparing to Egon in my head, too. He's he's great. He's smart and he's snarky, and it's perfect. Honestly, Crosshair and his, like, heel turn is kind of great. He's the worst. I don't remember, like, too much about him, I guess, from the four intro episodes from the Clone Wars, besides what? that he's a good sniper. but He, he still kind of sucked in the Clone yeah. Wars. He was still, like, kind of a bad dude. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I mean, he's really gone over the edge here, and... They explained a little bit about, like, why he was following the Order 66 instead of the other ones, and I don't even remember... Basically, that his modifications made him more resistant to Order 66, like he wasn't as as zealous about it as the other clones were, but that basically his programming was stronger because he's not exactly as independently minded, he's more just like a really good sharpshooter is i think basically the gist of what they said and i think we'll get into it more but i definitely think the end game for that character is they're gonna bring him back they're gonna get his chip out yeah maybe that'll happen and they'll do last stand where he sacrifices himself trying to save his brothers or something yeah i'll be very interested to see how that goes because they crank his inhibitor chip up to 11 to make him like evil crosshair yes tarkin just like like you said he cranks it all the way up which, I, I mean, I love seeing Tarkin pop up and stuff. I mean, he's yeah. the worst, but <laughs> he, like... He's, like, the best of the worst, though. He's, like, the perfect Imperial. You know, you can look at Darth Vader and be like, oh, yeah, sure, evil Sith Lord Jedi guy, but, like, Tarkin is running that Imperial military. The thing that I think is so fascinating about Tarkin is he is just a man. He's not a Jedi. He's not a Sith. He's not a clone. He's not... He's just a dude... That enlisted in the Imperial Navy and worked his way up. Yeah, he almost, like, looks down on Vader and the Emperor, like, oh, okay, they're gonna do their Sith thing, and I'm gonna do the real powerful work here and, like, be the -the behind-the-scenes guy. How many people do you see Darth Vader take orders from, ever? Exactly, exactly. It's a little weird, too, seeing him in, like, like young Tarkin towards the end of the Clone Wars, when he's just, like, there with the announcer guy from the beginning. The Clone Wars does such a good job with him of just, like, this guy is the worst, and you totally see him pulling Anakin's strings immediately. He's just doing the exact same thing here. He comes in the Camino, demands to see the Bad Batch in action, almost kills him because he wants that, like, battle data or whatever, and then immediately sends them to go assassinate Saw Gerrera. Yeah, which I had actually just forgotten. It was Like, I'd seen yeah. him in the trailer, obviously. I just straight up forgot he was going to be in this show because I was like... Who's it going to be, Mom? Is it going to be, like, young Cassian or something? Because we know he fought in the CIS when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. But no, it's Saw. He has been in so much stuff. He was in Clone Wars, Rebels, and Bad Batch, one of the only characters to be in all three. He's Um, also in Jedi Fallen Order as well, which is another canon installment. Yep. Plus, I I think he's hit a couple of comics, and of course, Rogue One. Yeah. That character is really doing a lot of that stitch work together here. When he shows up in Fallen Order, I was like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Because it totally also looks like Forrest Whitaker in Fallen Order. Well, it's it's Forrest Whitaker playing him. They get... Forrest Whitaker voices him on Rebels and in Fallen Order, in addition to playing him in Rogue One. No kidding. 
And I mean, even in this, I hope he's back in the future, but it seems like they were using him and his like initial insurgent group, which looks like he's starting there after the fall of the Republic. It looks like that was just a way to fully show that the Republic is gone. There are no old friends from the war. It's like time to just start straight killing people and that the Bad Batch is obviously doing the wet work for Tarkin and the Empire. Yeah, they they handled that whole sequence really, really well. And I do want to touch on this because we haven't really talked episode two yet. That Cut is back. Like yet another character that we know. Cut and his whole family, which I had to like pause uh, when they got there in that second episode to be like, did I miss episodes that they're in together, like from the Clone Wars? But I guess it's more of just like an unseen understanding thing that they're old friends Whenever a human and a Twi'lek have kids, sometimes they have Leku and sometimes they do not. In my research, I think I found out that those children are adopted because I don't think clones can have kids, can they? Oh, I did not know that. That makes sense. I'm, I'm pretty sure I read that on Wikipedia. So Wikipedia. There, there's the final facts. Yeah, that whole episode, that episode two where they're, like you said, it is like the early stages of Imperial control. They're making everybody trade their Republic credits in for a chain code. I know it has higher stakes and different stakes than the Sorgan episode of The Mandalorian where you meet Cara Dune, Mm -hmm. but this is the moment where I was like, man, this is really Mandalorian. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Where it's like, okay, we gotta stop, and it's the it's the mission of the week, we gotta help this family, and, uh, we, are we gonna leave our special force child with, uh, <laughs> with the family, uh, the idyllic farming family, or are we going to take them with us on our mercenary endeavors? Now, obviously, you know, Omega has agency <laughs> that Baby Yoda does not, but... True. We're more on different path than the Mandalorian now, I hope. But I just don't want it to feel like the Mandalorian again. Like you were saying, not only does Omega have this agency that Grogu does not for a thousand reasons, including he's like a foot tall puppet. Omega has a lot of these like skills that she can't explain. Like she is capable as a teammate in a lot of ways that they're starting to learn like she can handle a gun and she can sneak around and you know stealth missions small spaces stuff like that they're gonna probably start treating her a lot more like an equal instead of like a grogu wasn't a burden but he was definitely getting into some (laughs) trouble man he was eating he was eating those eggs garrett (laughs) he knew what he was doing (laughs) he is fully aware he's 50 year old child (laughs) Uh, I was thinking about how on Rebels, whenever there's a mission in the early seasons, there's always conveniently a vent that only Ezra can sit in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Is there going to be a thing that Omega has to do every week where it's like, only Omega can do it because she's yeah. the small one. That's what it has to be, though, because it's like they don't necessarily pinpoint her like special bad batch power it's like what was it It was like she's extra intuitive i think is what they said which means that like oh she can just do a lot of stuff naturally i think that's going to be part of it is what is her actual programming for what makes her individual what makes her a part of the bad batch also does she have an inhibitor chip is something that i thought they were going to ask this episode and didn't Oh, yeah, that is a good question. I, I, you know, I assume they're going to run into Rex and the boys, like, 
trying to assimilate whenever they do run into Rex, which I know they will. That's oh. probably his question is going to be like, did you take her inhibitor chip out yet? Uh, they set up in this episode Rex because they mentioned that Rex just came through. That is right. The transition between like prime Rex and old man Rex is going to be a weird one, but he always looks and acts super cool. So I'm, I'm sure they're going to do something wild with him. Do you think Omega's, do you think somebody's going to be like execute order 99 and she's going to be like, I uh, got to kill the bad batch. Ooh, what if she's the sleeper agent? She's got Order 67 in her noggin, and yeah. she's going to go berserk on him. Ooh, maybe. It's like a river thing from Firefly. She's just going to, like, pick up two swords and just go berserk like that. It is very transparent, I think, that Dave Filoni is very influenced by Firefly, specifically yeah. Rebels of the Mandalorian. So... Honestly, Seamus, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Yeah, right? It's totally possible. But overall, Bad Batch, I really dug it. I'm excited to see more. I think we should do... We're not doing this weekly like we do Mandalorian or the Marvel Disney Plus shows. But I think it'd be nice if we did like a mid-season check-in or something and then did a season one end episode. I would be into that, man. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching this weekly regardless if if we have a segment on the show or not. So I'll be I'll be ready to talk whenever you're ready. I'm I'm just so impressed by this continuation of Star Wars television era and you know, it's Dave Filoni. He's going to pull some cool stuff off. We've already seen Tarkin, we've already seen Kanan. Tarkin's going to be back, obviously. He's going to be one of the main villains of the series, I think. And I think Rex might play a larger role in this than we're thinking. I think that is that's on the table. I would do anything to see like a Rex and post order 66 Cody talking together. Cause I don't think oh. we've seen that. Yeah, Wouldn't that we... just be so haunting to see like two people that are so close. One of them is just like trying to keep it together. And the other one legitimately is into like killing Jedi's now. Yeah. We need, we need to see Cody. Number one thing that needs to happen. There was a planned Cody arc on rebels that they cut. Oh man. Oh, maybe cause they wanted to, Fit it in with the Bad Batch, perhaps? Well, I, I know that was a long time ago, but... That's what I'm kind of wondering, is if they're going to adapt that. Again, this is, I think, why we need that kind of... That mid-season check-in, because the rumor is 16 episodes. So that's a lot... Whoa, that's a lot that's of content. Lot. We'll report on that as we as we hear about it. But basically, I think, general plan for now, I think we should do a mid-season check-in, and I think we should do a finale episode. Yes, I'm in. But until that mid-season check-in... I think this is going to do it for us on The Bad Batch for now. Final impressions, final words on these first two episodes? I'm excited to see where we're going. It really exceeded my expectations, and I'm I'm happy to see the tone and vibe and the way it's bridging the gaps between so many things that need bridged in Star Wars. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our pop culture reference. So for today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about Order 66, which is a massive event in the Star Wars universe and one that kicks off the Bad Batch series, which was our main segment today. I think this is a pretty interesting cultural touchstone in terms of it is just an absolutely horrific in-universe event that is referenced pretty frequently, I think, in the real world. For as big of an event as it is... The way they play it off in the live-action movies is very... Like, it's horrifying in Episode 3 to see it the first time we ever see it. But if the only thing you have for context is the lead-up 
to that event through the live action movies, it can be pretty confusing. Because they do do a good job establishing that Cody and Obi-Wan do have a little bit of a relationship immediately preceding Order 66. How Cody turns on a dime and just is ready to assassinate his master, which in the Clone Wars and other media, we've learned about how clones have inhibitor chips that were activated during Order 66 that essentially made them execute their their Jedi fellows in arms. Yeah, it goes all the way back to Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, when it's explained that a Jedi Master, Sifo Diaz, ordered the clone army for the Republic without their knowledge. But uh, we later learn through the series that there are more Sith influences on that decision that ultimately led to these inhibitor chips being secretly implanted. And so, yeah, this has been shown in a variety of Star Wars media, and it's basically the in-universe reasons for why there are so few Jedi left in the original trilogy, because I don't think this really counts as a spoiler. Should we break down all the Jedi that are confirmed to have survived Order 66? Uh, yeah, you know what? We might as well, considering that those Jedi are more than likely going to be a big influence on the Bad Batch and anything post-prequel era. So you got you got the real obvious boys. You've got Yoda and Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. We know that they survived clean and easy. Ahsoka Tano, the third biggest character to survive Order 66. Then you've got Cal Kestis, the protagonist from Jedi Fallen Order. Kanan Jarrus slash Caleb Doom from Star Wars Rebels. Then we're getting into like a weirder territory where it's like, this is mostly pulling from comics and books and stuff, but uh, Jocasta New is mm-hmm. confirmed to have survived Order 66 in the Darth Vader comic. Honorable mention, I don't know if he was a full Jedi yet, but I think, you know, Grogu survived. He is a yep. tiny little baby Jedi. Yep, and we don't know who saved him. I, I think kind of presumably it was another Jedi that would have saved Grogu. Oh, there's also Seer Junda, I guess, also from Jedi Fallen Order. Right, of course. And then you also have a weird subset of Jedi that survived Order 66 by becoming Inquisitors, which is the Empire's force-sensitive elite squad of mostly fallen Jedi whose entire job is to hunt down the remaining Jedi and force-sensitive children that are left after Order 66. And we Uh, see a lot of these Inquisitors in Rebels and Jedi Fallen Order, but it stands to reason that given the time frame and subject matter of the Bad Batch, we'll be seeing them in a new light through that show soon. That is a pretty massive event in the Star Wars universe that is continuing to be explored in new media, as we just saw in the Bad Batch. So I'm excited to see kind of like what more of the fallout is directly from Order 66, because that's not something we've seen very much. Yeah, that's true. It's mostly just like different POVs of the event in different mediums of Star Wars and then jumping straight to more of an Imperial controlled galaxy instead of that. You know, we see the emotions through these Padawans that survive, these clones that aren't affected by the inhibitor chips, and it's going to be definitely a lot more of a harsh human look at a massacre like that. So yeah, that is Order 66 from the Star Wars franchise, and I suspect this is not the last time we'll see Order 66 put on screen, and definitely not the last time it'll be depicted in any kind of Star Wars medium. But I do wonder if they're ever going to, like, I think that 
roster, I feel like, isn't going to grow too much beyond what it already is. Like, because the entire point of Luke Skywalker being, quote, the last Jedi in Return of the Jedi is it's a little fuzzy because you've got Ahsoka running around, but she's not really a Jedi. Right. And you potentially got a couple of those other characters running around and like what's going on with them. And, you know, yeah, that's I think that's all we got, really. Let's move on to Save the Rec Center. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, are you locked and loaded this week? Yes, I am, Garrett. Let's hear it. Kind of going with our... We got a big slate of Marvel news today, and it was a very happy accident that the same week that we finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the timing of that with my full MCU rewatch, I landed on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I know that's like one of the most celebrated MCU movies, but I highly recommend going back to rewatch it after everything that's happened with Falcon and the Winter Soldier because, wow, did I not realize how just how much they set up and how much satisfying payoff you get in that show from this movie. It sets up so much with Bucky and Sam and Sharon. I was almost expecting to see Zemo pop his head in there, but I know he comes later. And if it's been a while, like it had been for me, because I always remember it being fantastic, but... If it's been a while and you've recently finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I highly implore you to go check it out again. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite Marvel films. I think it's the first Russo Brothers one, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was their first venture into the MCU, and obviously now they are the MCU guys. I think that one honestly almost is the thing to watch before you watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, it would almost, almost work... You need Civil War in there, but it would almost work just those, like, just Winter Soldier and then watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's pretty much what I'm saying, man. It is, like, such... It honestly elevates the show to a higher level than I thought of before, and that show, in turn, elevates that movie so much, considering, like, even the super small stuff, like that French guy is there, whose name I don't remember. Le the Leaper, I think. Yeah, yeah, that guy, he's there. Or like, I don't know. It's just the tiny little details that felt so satisfying to see paid off. What do you got this week, Garrett? Well, I'm going to keep it on brand. I'm sure you're not surprised. I'm doing a Star (laughs) Wars wreck. And this is actually a deeper cut Star Wars wreck than I usually go with. There is a Star Wars novel called A New Dawn. It was the first novel published by Disney in the Star Wars canon. And I think it was actually the first, like, canon novel in the new Disney Star Wars canon, period. Like, I think that was like, this is the first book that's canon. It is a Rebels prequel that is about how Kanan and Hera meet. So that's keeping it on theme for this week. You get a lot more backstory into how Kanan is hiding out after Order 66, what his life has been like. And what is eventually going to draw him, you know, out of the shadows. It's a, like, surprisingly hard book to to come by, but I think it's a little bit easier to find in the Rise of the Empire compendium book, which has A New Dawn and Tarkin and three short stories. So oh, a nice. bunch of Star Wars content in one, in one nice package. That's what I have it in. It's also the introduction of Ray Sloan who has become a oh. big force in Star Wars, the not movies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, damn, that is tight. I definitely have to check that out because, you know, Kanan is awesome. And I honestly, Kanan and Hera 
together is a relationship that I think is incredibly well written and well done. So I definitely I have to get my hands on that. I know I said earlier in the episode that Kanan is one of my favorite Star Wars characters, but like Hera is also one of my favorite Star Wars characters. I think they are so fully realized. And like you said, their relationship only deepens and makes each other's characters more interesting. Mm, Absolutely. They're some of the best parts of Rebels, in my opinion. That is a really, really hard recommend on A New Dawn. A weird deep cut, but (laughs) really worth your time. It tells a very satisfying, complete story, too. It's not just like a cute little adventure to set up Rebels. It's like, no, this is a in-depth character study of these two characters at early weird turning points in their life. And this adventure that they're going on with tons of new characters introduced and really well set up. Very dope. So yeah, um, that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at that same handle. You can also email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com and like us on Facebook. Next week, we're going to be covering the Netflix original, The Mitchells vs. The Machines, which uh, we've kind of been chatting about. It's a couple weeks old now, but I'm really excited to watch it and talk about it with you, Seamus. Yeah, man, I'm ready for the robots. We'll see you next week, then. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.